Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If you found a hundred bucks on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course, you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. You know what else is important? Actually pressing the button to send in your bet on your halftime prop where you bet that the Steelers would be up by three on the Seahawks. Uh, we, of course, forgot to press the button. Uh, well, we would have won that bet, which maybe would have taken some of the sting off of the Steelers' loss to the Seahawks, but that's neither here nor there. All I know is it was our fault and not my bookie's fault because it is a super easy website to navigate. I think we were just a little bit distracted with some of the tragedy that we were witnessing. But you can also bet on games after kickoff. You can put in uh, bets in the second half. You can even switch sides from one side to the other. So if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Anticipating the traditional Steeler bounce back during today's game with the Seahawks, you, like me, violated the 5 p.m. rule and had demolished a six-pack by the time the second half had started. We are recording this podcast right after the game because of continued logistical constraints, so now I have reached deep into the recesses of the magic fridge to procure liquid sustenance, which explains why I'm now drinking four-year-old bottles of Miller Lite. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is September 15, 2019. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost, and boy, are we depressed. Another superlative day outside here in D.C. Shining sun, beautiful weather. I'm ensconced here in the command center, just, as I said, drinking four-year-old Miller Lite on the heels of a Steeler defeat at the hands of Seattle, 28-26. to 26. I'm on a year-old Dos Equis myself. I just reached in there and tried to find something just to lower the blood pressure in order to do this podcast. Oh, you guys, it is not looking good for the Steelers 2019 season. I think Alex Kazora uh, put out a good tweet. I'm trying to find it here, but long story short, I'm, I'm paraphrasing when he said, the... Steelers don't deserve any optimism at this point, but if you look back historically, three of the last four times the Steelers have gone 0-2, they've actually made the playoffs. And 
if you all remember, in 2013, they went 0-4, and that ended up being one of my favorite Steelers seasons ever because they rallied off a bunch of wins and eventually went 8-8 eight and eight and only missed the playoffs because Ryan Suckup, the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, missed a cheap shot field goal in the game that they were playing. So what I'm trying to say there is the season's not over yet. And if you've been watching for a long time, you know that the Steelers get better in the second half of the season. Uh, Before last year's late season meltdown, there were a bunch of graphics online showing the Pittsburgh Steelers' second half of the year record under Mike Tomlin over the past like six or seven years, of course, not counting last year. And the worst they ever finished was six and two. You look down those years, six and two, seven and one, eight and no, six and two, seven and one. And so the Steelers are a team that tends to get better as they go along. I think part of this is because they're an emotional team led by Mike Tomlin, who will talk about his schematic struggles, which he has every year, um, but he can get a team up to play. I think Ben Roethlisberger is a similar quarterback, my favorite athlete ever besides the trader, and uh, he kind of takes a while to get chemistry going. They're not so much technicians as they are artists, <laughs> and the Steelers do get better in the second half of the year. So you can keep that in mind. But man, at least in those years, there was something positive to point to. And especially when the first half ended of this Steelers game, you had just seen six quarters straight of complete ineptitude. What did they have, 100 yards at halftime? The play calling on offense is miserable. It's just five wide, no running backs, hasn't worked one time yet. They keep doing it. Ben, totally uncomfortable, totally indecisive. The defense, making some nice sacks here and there from some of the stars you have on the defensive line. Tuit, Watt, Hayward, big people showing up. But at the end of the day, it's people running wide open down the middle of the field. And we've been singing the same song for years. We'll talk about Mason Rudolph. He came in there, and honestly, he looked great, and the team came alive when he went in there. But the Steelers, man, they have no identity, and there's not a lot to build on right now, and it could be a rough year. It's hard to believe it won't be a rough year. As you said, there seemed to be no... I actually, the defense did do did well, but when you look at the, at the first half, the Steelers had eight to seven possessions, and... Three of those were three and outs. Four of those were three and outs. I mean, it was utter futility at the beginning. As you said, lining up, I mean, let's forget about the run-pass offense or balance. We weren't, it was a 0-0 tie, and we met, went immediately to the air, and all we saw were, was futility. Yeah, 100%. I'm trying I to must search. have stunned you there because of my, my insight, because I'm just sitting here looking at all the um, serious. I just see no, punt, 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 uh, punt. It was a great. It was great insight. But our internet is is worse than uh, you know <laughs> the equivalence of the greatness of your insight is is not <laughs> equal to the terribleness of our it's internet connections here. But Warren Sharp out here tweeted: Steelers allow Tom Brady to throw for 341 yards and three TDs at 9.5 yards per attempt. Quote: But Pittsburgh never plays well in New England. Well. Steelers allow Russell Wilson to throw for 303 TDs at 8.6 yards per attempt in Pittsburgh. But Ben got hurt. Excuses are fast to fly, but Tomlin's D has been an annual problem. And there's almost too many directions to go here, that in this podcast, because the offense was atrocious too, although they did come alive a little bit with Mason Rudolph. I think maybe... Maybe we'll, um, we'll get more into that in depth when we go one by one through the positional groups. But... Just, I, I agree. It's like it seemed like the defense played well at times because they got sacks. 
They had a three and out at the beginning of the game, which they did against the Patriots as well. And, uh, you know, you saw some decent plays, but I don't I don't think that they played well either. I mean, Russell Wilson was like 80% completion the whole game. I remember looking up and seeing, like, this guy's like 14 of 16 right now for, you know, 150 in a touchdown. And they just, whenever they need a big play, they can get it. And there's these little bright spots that happen in between with TJ and Stephan, Stephon Tuitt, who had maybe the best game of his career, had at least three sacks. Um, Nelson was fantastic on DK Metcalf. Uh he had three different times where Russell Wilson tried to throw a back shoulder fade to Metcalf, and all three of them, Stephen Nelson defended. I think also, by the way, we got to put a bookmark in the uh, challenged pass interference call that the Seahawks won later and talk about how I'm sorry that was, that was brutal, and that shows you what's going to happen with the NFL this year. But anyways, all I'm trying to say is that there are moments where the defense played well, but overall... The Seahawks never had any problem moving the ball all over them. And when Ben was in there in that game, the offense for the Steelers looked identically as bad as it did against the Patriots. And they're at home in Pittsburgh playing against a team that is not nearly as good as the Patriots. And they just they have no identity. That's my problem with the team. And these receivers cannot separate, man. That, this is a slow group of guys. I guess that explains why Ben was just standing back there most of the game waiting to get sacked. But there, I'm, try, I'm stretching myself to find some silver linings other than the fact I'm able to drink beer before 5 o'clock and nobody's going to criticize me for that. But two right. turnovers, two fumbles and two, two fumble recoveries. Yeah. We can talk about Devin Bush's return or uh, running backwards and then running out of bounds and fumbling the ball. But anyway, we did get the ball back and, you know, the, the offense really benefited from a lot of what the defense did today, except for the one long drive that Rudolph had where he's like nine straight right. completions, I think. But as you said, we can go through that a little bit later. But I did, I did appreciate the two turnovers, which was a, a theme for this year. Yeah, two fumbles, uh, one of them kind of an inexplicable fumble by Carson. Still, this defense can't intercept a pass or even really get their hands on a pass. I mean, Terrell Edmonds had the perfect opportunity to pick off a pass on a corner route where the play-by-play announcers praised him for knocking the ball down. And I just, I mean, this was a bad underthrow by Russ and he should have put both of his hands up there and intercepted the ball, but he's allergic to turnovers. And like I said, you can't really teach that stuff. So you got guys in Sean Davis who was in and out of the lineup constantly and Terrell Edmonds, they're not going to start picking the ball off one day. You have it or you don't. And Terrell Edmonds had a couple nice open field tackles and then, you know, got owned a couple times as well by, you know, DK Metcalf and I always want to say Percy Harvin, uh, Tyler Lockett, number 16 for them, their number one receiver. But um, why don't we shift our focus here? Because those are just, I just wanted to wrap up the overall thoughts about the game, which is number one, on offense, this team has no identity. And I'm going to talk about that, how they had a little bit more of an identity when Mason Rudolph went in there. And I think part of that is Mason Rudolph doing well. And I think that is partially the coaches figured out that they actually have to coach when a backup quarterback's in the game. And it would be nice to see them do that with the starting quarterback instead of just relying on the spontaneity. Okay, so they have no identity on offense. And on defense, it's the same Steelers defense that we've seen in the entire Keith Butler era. And if you think it's going to change, you're insane. Every team who has an even halfway competent quarterback and Russell Wilson and Tom Brady are are way more than halfway competent. Any team who has a halfway competent quarterback, you're getting the middle for free. Will Disley or whatever that guy, we made him look like Robert Gronkowski, and that 
didn't surprise you or me in any way because we've been watching it for almost a decade now. And I don't know if it was arrogance for Tomlin to leave Butler on the staff, but we said this and we told you guys this last year and you probably screamed it right back to us when you're listening to the podcast. When they retained Keith Butler, it was a death sentence. Then they brought over, oh, Terrell Austin. Who is he? Oh, he's the defensive coordinator for the worst defense in the league last year. Why'd he come over? Because he's friends with Tomlin. And nepotism in politics does exist in the NFL. That's why Joey Porter was on the squad for as long as he was. And that's why they didn't make any adjustments. And you're not going to get that much better. You have some good players on defense, and that's exciting. So you got to see that. But to be able to compete with the likes of like a Kansas City or a New England Patriots, you're just not going to be able to do it. And we're we're in for more of that. I think uh, we got Austin because he he's a volunteer. He was free. Oh, okay. Well, you take all hands. Yeah, you just look. You, you could you could give me those um, those faxes from the box, and I could just look at the middle of the field and just say, "Yeah, that looks open. Why don't you try and throw the ball there?" Because now you have you have such an upgraded um, Mac linebacker. Steven Nelson is absolutely turn, quietly turning into the best cornerback we've had since Ike. So yeah. What is the problem? It just seems to be the common denominator has to be the coaching. Although, I mean, Bush had a tough day today, but he's supposed to be able to cover in the middle of the field better than that. Yeah, that's tough. You can't get beat by a tall Caucasian who runs a 4-9. He ran a 4-8-7 in his combine. So, Bush, you got to be able to get that guy. But, yeah, of course, we're not blaming it all on the coaching. There are issues there. Like, just the run blocking for James Conner. And, I, by the way, is he hurt? Oh. Because he didn't play, like, the whole fourth Me. quarter. Yeah, Nate. Yeah. That guy can't make it through an NFL season. So he we'll had. Try to tell he, you. Yeah. yeah. Try to tell well, you. I'll tell you. But let's let's say, uh, not forget about the silver line. He didn't run the ball that many times, but Jalen Samuels looked really good. He did. If he, he can looked- only just take his three carries and make that 10 carries at six yards a pop, we'd be in business. He did look really good, and I do like Jalen Samuels more than I ever expected to. He is significantly faster this year. It's it's the it's deja vu. We saw that happen with Bell. We saw that happen with Connor. They slim down. They get better for their second year. Very proud of – well, we'll get into Benny Snell at the running back section. Otherwise, we're not going to have anything to talk about. But, uh, yeah, just regarding the coaching versus the playing, I mean – does James Conner ever get blocking, or does he just have to run through 15 tackles in order to get five yards? Because it seems like the latter to me. Like, the only way Conner can get yardage is if he runs over five people. So, the you know, at the beginning of the game, I'm getting angry because I'm seeing more of this five-wide receiver thing, which is which hasn't worked one time. So I understand it. You don't give something up if it doesn't work for one game, but it became apparent that it doesn't work. And when did they give it up? When Mason Rudolph went in the game. Which also makes me wonder, and I you have to say this as the president of Ben's fan club, how much of that five wide is Ben's influence? And part of the reason why Feetner was brought in here is because he's his buddy and Ben wants to run that. When it looked like Mason Rudolph went in, we saw multiple play action passes. We saw them run from under center more and do play action and running from under center. And, by the way, who are the three teams that take the most snaps from under center in the NFL? Oh, the Patriots, the Saints, and the Rams. Oh, okay, so the best offenses. And I'm sure the Chiefs are uh, not soon far after them. But it looked like when Mason Rudolph went in, they started running a real offense. So I get. I think two things there. One, I do wonder, is Ben 
handcuffing them and he wants to run this five wide stuff. And then two is something you see happen with a lot of coaching staffs when a backup goes in. You saw this happen most notably with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles in Philadelphia, especially if you're starting quarterbacks like a, a semi-creative playmaker. Sometimes the backup goes in and the coaches go, oh, crap, we need to have like we need to dial up some silver platter plays for this guy. Meaning we need some plays where it's it's a fake handoff and there's a lot of motion and the guy just has to make one read and he gets a free completion. We need to dial some of these up because this is this isn't our stud. This is the backup guy. We need to get him going. You know, you can use those plays for the starter too, right? So it looked even the offensive play calling looked night and day. I don't think I saw Mason Rudolph go five receivers once. And so Adam, what were you gonna say? Well, since we're, we're diving into position commentary now, what was really difficult to tell, because we can't see the whole field, I want them to go back to that camera angle, and unfortunately all 22 film doesn't come out until Tuesday, but we were going five wide, and Ben was being pressured. Was everybody so, did, did they have the, still have the best secondary, everybody was on lockdown, and Ben was getting hassled in the backfield. Either he should have had more time, or he should be able to find open people in the secondary. Yeah. Unless, but he went 8 for 15 for 75 yards. Yeah, and he missed Holton on an absolutely wide open deep yeah. throw. Does this sound familiar, guys? Like, listen, this, I'm, you're going to get the um, disclaimer for me when I'm talking about Ben because I have defended this guy and supported this guy and will continue to do so. But I think some people who defend Ben make the mistake of not saying that he does anything wrong. I try to call it like I see it so that my opinion holds some value when I'm trying to tell you that this is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. So sometimes he does things wrong. Have we seen this story before? The last two years, the inexplicable deep misses, particularly in the first eight games of the season. I just remember that overthrow to Mar- the overthrows to Martavis Bryant two years ago or whatever that was. And Johnny Holton, he missed him in the first game. That was a little tighter. He missed him in this game. And that how do you miss that, man? That's a high school quarterback throw. And the only thing I can think is uh, we need a few more games from Ben to tell if he's falling off the cliff or not. You obviously can't watch the first two games and say, okay, that's it. He, he's done. But we know in the NFL with these legendary quarterbacks, they do fall off a cliff. It's not a gradual decline. It's Peyton Manning breaking records and then all of a sudden becoming the worst quarterback in the league. There are two things you look at with that. Um, And by the way, I guess we're in the quarterbacks analysis section now. (laughs) Two things you look at with the old guys. One is just physical talent and arm strength. The deterioration of that. Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees... And then recently Peyton Manning, you can see it with those guys. They do not throw the ball as hard or as far as they used to. Now they use their minds and all their other talents to to get the job done, but that's one of the first things you see go. That is not the case with Ben. His arm is the same. So that's what's kind of led me to think, I don't think he's quite fallen off the cliff yet. The second thing you have to look for is they start getting scared. Their body doesn't respond well to getting hit as much. There was a little bit of that from Brady last year. Sometimes you don't get a chance to see that with Brady because he does such a great job of getting the ball out quickly and the coaching staff does such a great job of dialing up those plays. I, especially judging by Ben's comments when he says the thing he wants to do the most in the preseason is get hit. Like he wants to feel like it's okay. I think Ben looks jittery and I think on the Holton plays that he's overthrown, he's about to get hit and he just kind of, 
It doesn't step into the throw, and he lobs it up there. And so that's something to keep an eye on. Now, Ben has played really terribly over the first few games of the last two years, and then he has rebounded to play great. And part of that is just because he's such a, you know, a chemistry type of guy. So I'm not ruling that out, of course, but I'd be lying if it didn't strike me that he looks very uncomfortable. So he looked so uncomfortable that uh, I guess it was his right elbow that kept, he kept grabbing and eventually took himself out of the game. Let's talk about I'm it. Really, I'm really surprised that, uh, I mean, he, even when he was grabbing his elbow, he was still throwing the ball. And I can imagine, you know, whatever you do your elbow, it, it could be really painful, but that he didn't come back in, that he didn't get something to take away the pain. Yeah. And it seemed like he was sort of was pretty docile about grabbing the baseball cap. And his earpiece and, and hanging on the sideline and never got back like, into the game. He looked fine. Like, I'll have to rewatch some of the throws, but it didn't look that painful. No ice I'm on never the elbow. Judge a guy, like, especially someone no. like that who's coming. Yeah. It, listen, man. And again, this hurts me to talk about my guy like this, but he puts himself out there, especially, and we can never know permanently now, we're going to be scarred by the Oakland game. When allegedly he wasn't well enough to go into the game against Oakland and he took himself out, which was the second time I've seen him take himself out in his career. The other time was the last time they played the Seahawks and they were in that shootout in Seattle and he took himself out in the fourth quarter for a few plays because he got hit in the head and that was when all the concussion stuff was starting. So then against Oakland, he takes himself out. He deems himself, okay, I'm not good enough to play. He talks about this a lot in interviews now. He's like, I'm a family man. I want to be there for my kids. And he's aware of this. This is dangerous. You cannot be in the game if that's the way you're thinking because, honestly, it's a safety concern for you. But against Oakland, he deems himself not well enough to play. Josh Dobbs absolutely blows it. Ben comes back in and goes 10 for 10 for a touchdown, which tells me you were okay to play the whole time. And young career Ben, listen – He's a drama queen. He always wants to make sure everybody knows that he has an injury. He's pointing to the elbow every time. He knows the announcers are talking about it. We know about that. I tend to think he gets too much crap for that from people because it's like, yes, he is a little bit of a drama queen. But this guy has played through everything. We've seen it throughout all the years. Recently, it's been a little bit different with old man Ben. But this man has played through everything. In the broken nose in the AFC Championship game, you don't even have to go down the laundry list. He'll play through it, sometimes even to the detriment of the team. I mean, he played he played with a broken thumb in the, what is it, the first or the second Super Bowl he won. So you can't, he, his, his resume is too extensive with that. But where he is now, I found it fishy that he didn't go back in the game. Because I don't know, and maybe it wasn't good. Maybe he couldn't throw, but like I would have at least liked to see one time where he, he threw a duck where it proved it to me, like, okay, he can't actually make the throws. Well, I'll be generous and think that he took himself out because he didn't feel he could make the throws. I mean, to your point about the broken thumb, does he keep himself in there at the detriment of his team when right. he knows he can't? I mean, he was throwing the ball when he was when he was hurt, clearly after he had started grabbing his elbow, so... Uh, and he didn't yep. make, so he made a few throws. I guess he could assess how far downfield he can go, and he took himself out. I'm just surprised, yeah. again, they didn't take him back in the tent and handle that. However, one handles that during the NFL <laughs> game, but not even ice on the elbow. I just found it kind of surprising. So why don't, we, why don't we segue and talk about Mason Rudolph, who was 12 for 19 for 112 yards, two touchdowns, He's credited or debited, for you accountants with an interception, which clearly yeah. wasn't really the blood on his hands. Right. 
Uh, yeah. So right before I talk about Mason Rudolph, I'm, I'm also not a- accusing Ben of being okay to play and not playing. I'm just saying, especially with what happened with Oakland um, and then what happened when he said he couldn't play against the Browns when Landry Jones started and he came back in and lit it up for 300 yards and three touchdowns. I'm saying at this point now we have to wonder, is he really okay to play or not? Because now he... Yes, he has a track record of playing through so much stuff, and I don't think you can ever take that away from him. But also in the last few years, he's developed a track record of saying he's not well enough to play and then playing and playing amazing. So it's just hard to watch. Uh, Mason Rudolph was great. I thought he was excellent. That is that dude's first game. When he went in, like I said, I did see a change in the play calling. And you guys can say the same thing, right? I mean, what was Ben? Five wide. We're going to try and throw to these short slow wide receivers who can't separate and when mason went in it's play action roll out handoff under center three tight ends a flea flicker they ran a flea flicker Mm. there's only one team that does trick plays anymore and it's new england and it always works and that's the greatest team in the history of organized sports and no one wants to think of run these things so i am a little annoyed that they didn't start calling real plays until mason got in there but they did And I thought Mason was excellent. The number one thing about him is he just carried over his preseason to the regular season. He looks very calm and poised in the pocket. His footwork is excellent. He doesn't have any waste of motion. He's accurate, and he's very decisive. He was going back there, and he was... It looked like Steelers football. This weird bend in five wide, and where he doesn't even, like, take a drop. He just kind of muddles around in the pocket and it just closes in on him so quickly that's weird i'm used to seeing ben drop back even if it is shotgun you take the long five step drop you step up take a hitch step in the pocket and throw the ball 20 yards downfield to the curl routes and stuff like that that's what ben's been about it's not this little dinky dunk thing and when mason went in it looked like the steelers offense again and he was very decisive and he was very accurate and one thing i loved what he did today Right before you and I started the podcast, I was watching the interview that he did, post-game interview, and he admitted right away that, you know, they asked him about the flea flicker play, and he admitted that he never ran it in practice, but I guess they ran it in practice, so he got the he got the feel over it enough. But he said, yeah, I probably underthrew it a little bit, and if I threw it far enough, threw a more accurate ball, then he would have scored a touchdown. And then he moved on. And it didn't seem like that kind of BS, like, I know this is what people want to hear quarterbacks say. Uh, kind of thing. He admitted it was an underthrow. Now, I don't mind because at that point it was like, we just need something, and it's better that you underthrow him and he catches it. Juju made a fantastic catch, by the way. Better you underthrow it than airmail it, but I just like that he took, he was right. I mean, it was an underthrow, and uh, I like that he just took the responsibility for that and then moved on. Two, two quick things. One, remember also the third and five where Mason Rudolph dropped back. He's almost caught in the pocket, and he sort of bend-like meandered yeah. his way through the ma- maelstrom and gained seven yards for the first down. I thought that was really that, – that showed a lot of composure. That was impressive to me. The rewind I want to talk about really briefly is they had the – on the Steelers' um, website, they had a quick interview in the locker room with Ben about last week. And, like, why didn't this happen? Why did that happen? What can you say? Some, you know, this isn't accounting. You throw a football, there's guys trying to bat it down, there are guys trying to bat you down, you have a receiver who has to catch it, and a weirdly shaped ball. Sometimes you just don't throw it in the right place or something happens. 
what what else is there to say? I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make a bad pass. I'm trying to make a good pass. I mean, some of the the questions is just ridiculous. Yes, it would have been great if you put the ball out there another foot, and that would have been a touchdown. It didn't happen. That is a hell of a long pass to make, and yeah. you know, and make it a pinpoint pass in the perfect place to set up for a touchdown. Uh sure. Um, I think that the pocket was collapsing a little bit on him, so it's tough. But I mean, I think that if you have Juju, your number one receiver, ahead of their corners, and you're in the NFL, you really it doesn't have to be pinpoint. You just throw it in front of them, and he can run under it. But you know, it's your first deep throw as an NFL player, and it's on a flea flicker, and you got to twist the ball to get it back in your hands. And it wasn't clean. I mean, there were people like really uh, getting close to him on that play too. So I get that, but I don't think that that. I think a much harder throw is you know some twenty yard out route where you have to hit it pinpoint. But you know, you have a little bit of room to go, and and that's the thing about Mason Rudolph. He's a really good deep ball thrower, but he doesn't have like a big arm. Um, but hey. He completed it. It was a great catch for Juju. Yeah, and he, uh, I actually, I, you know, I don't know what, how much more, how much further he needs to throw. I mean, 40 yards in the air, and he underthrew it a little bit. It sounds like he didn't have that big of a problem getting it down there. He also had two really nice uh, touchdown passes. He had a little touch on that first one where he just sort of threw a little sidearm to Vance. and um, Yeah, bought time. Bought a little time. Well, now we spend about 15 minutes yeah. on the quarterbacks. You want to start rolling through the rest of the positions. Speaking of running yeah, back. Yeah, I actually got to get out. James Conner. here relatively soon, so we got to. Oh, sorry. This is the inter- our okay. internet. Has Look, talking over James Conner got. James Conner was not getting uh, holes open for him. He did get he did get banged up. We, we'll have to see where that is. But he had 11 carries for 33 yards. Benny Snell, who we were pretty hard on during the preseason for good reason, had that one long carry and, and rambled for 23 yards, which was very gratifying. But Jalen Samuels, he only had three carries for 18 yards. It seemed like he really got going there in the second half, but it really was only three three carries. But he looked great. He looked very fluid going through the line. I think uh, he looked very fluid. That's what we always say about him. He looks smooth. And how about a uh, little congratulations for Benny Snell. Amazing. Uh, on the as you walked away, one. I did uh, – Okay, so I'm gonna shoot. I was let's gonna let's you. let's start that over again because I went through all that. This is but so not, not the detail this, you did with this back. internet. Okay, uh, I took so a shot. I was like, should I ask we're going to talk about the running about backs Snell first. <laughs> it's all right. That's the good news. It's just the digital. Inter- it's un- it's it almost unusable. Anything. What is? So, what are we? What are we doing? We go, you, you. I thought you'd shut me down. No, I was shutting me down, so I wouldn't talk. It's this freaking <laughs> internet. Like I, I can, I haven't heard like anything you've said. Okay. Basically, well, just I, when that happens with me, just be patient, and I'll mark it down if we need to splice two sections together. Yeah. So moving on to running back, James Conner, 11 carries, 33 yards, really struggled, uh, and it didn't appear to be because of hit any deficiency on his part. He did have that one long run of 14 yards, and then uh, purportedly is banged up and got pulled out of the game, which is why we saw Jalen Samuels. 
I feel bad for James Conner right now. They are not blocking for this man, and some of this is the players on the offensive line, and some of this is maybe you need to do a better job designing your run game. And it makes me wonder how much Mike Munchak had to do with designing that run game as well. Mm-hmm. So I think he looks good. His, his stats are horrible, but he's a, he's the only playmaker for the Steelers right now. He's the only person on offense who can break a tackle or make a big play, and he's just not getting the opportunity to. Um, so... And then, of course, we know the guy, he's, he cannot make it through a full season. So that's going to be a problem. Hopefully the knee isn't that bad, but damn, man. Which makes you glad to have Jalen Samuels because, as you said, he's really he's reshaped himself, and he looked great. Only three carries, but he got 18 yards, and he made the most of his, his three carries. He's butter. He is so smooth. He is so decisive, and he's much faster than he was last year. He actually had a beautiful catch on, like, where he caught it over the guy's head where his leg ended up being out of bounds, and he got the pass interference call. But either way, he looks super smooth. And how about our guy? Benjamin. Our buddy. Our the other Benjamin. The other Benjamin. Two claps for Benny Snell, baby. Wow, what a great play for him to get in, in his uh, like first NFL carry in the regular season on the third and one where he burst through the line of scrimmage and then juked out the safety, something none of us thought he was even capable of doing. But that goes a long way for your confidence. We still think of him as kind of like a red shirt kind of guy. I don't even like the fact that they put him in on third and one, to be honest with you. That's another thing with the coaches where I'm like, what, what makes this guy a better choice than James Conner? Like, your starting running back isn't Reggie Bush. This is James Conner. He's a battering ram. You're overthinking it. And it worked out, and I'm glad it worked out for him. But just to circle back to these coaches, man. So I'm going to move on to the receivers. And I think the coaching staff must have heard us complaining about Vance McDonald last week because they started right out with throwing in the ball to Vance. And, but the, to the total detriment, or there was a dearth of of Juju Smith-Schuster and James Washington until the last drive of the second or the first half, like totally devoid of any presence between between those guys. Were they really that locked down? We need to see the All-22 because I, I am worried with Ben right now. I, I do think, like I said, I think that he can pull it back together. By the way, we haven't even talked about this yet, but I'm sure people will be wondering about a quarterback controversy in Pittsburgh because he's looked – I mean, obviously he was – Ben hasn't looked like an NFL quarterback through two games, and Mason Rudolph looked pretty damn good. But you got to give Ben a chance to knock the Saran wrap off. This is how it goes with him. Uh, But, man, he has not been playing well, so it's hard to get a read on Juju or Washington. But it does go without saying they don't don't have any explosion on the receiving core. I think it's fair to say Dante Moncrief's career might very realistically be over in the NFL. He... Barely got in early in the game, so thankfully we were misled by Tomlin's presser last week in which he said he did not see any issue with the distribution of snaps at receiver. So he did see an issue, and he greatly uh, lowered the number for Moncrief. Moncrief went in, got one almost catch from uh, Mason Rudolph on third down. It hit him in the face. In the face. It was not even a fastball, and it bounced up, and the Seahawks intercepted it and scored. So... He might be done in Pittsburgh. He might be done in the NFL, dude. I don't know who's going to pick him up. And Ryan Switzer, we have been a big fan of him on the podcast for a while. I have seen enough, man. Uh, I just think he has a lot of talent. He's just too slow. He can't get away from anyone. And Eli Rogers is still out there. So 
I wouldn't uh, just, put it past it. He's just Dree Archer. He's but, small. Yeah, I mean, guys yeah. can just reach yeah. out their arms and, and grab him. The other disappointment was Deontay Johnson's drop pass. Yeah. Well, you know what else? How about Johnny Holton? Johnny Holton seems like, I'm not going to say he's Martavis, but he can stretch the field, and but for another overthrow, he was going to have a very significant reception. Yeah, that was a bad overthrow. I will say that he dove out full extension, and it hit him in both the hands, so it would have been a tough catch, but like, you're yeah. trying to make an NFL team, man. I mean, I would like you to okay. see the pull that in. I mean, it was a bad throw for sure, but it, it was catchable. Uh, anything else to cover on offense? I think that. No, yeah, I think the line was pretty pathetic, especially when Ben was in there, um, and uh, didn't open up any holes for Connor. But they got a little better when when Mason was in there. But nothing to really write home about. You're probably asking yourself, why would Nick be the guy doing the Blue Chew commercial? A man of his age and his virility. We're gonna correct that today, guys. Remember the days when you were ready to go? I barely do. Want to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis at a fraction of the cost, so you know it works. You can take them anytime, day or night, on a full stomach, on an empty stomach. After four four-year-old Miller Lights... I take that back. I'm not sure that that's exactly what you want to do. But if you could benefit from extra function and more confidence when it counts, Blue Chew is a fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So there's no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the good old United States of America. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code ARMCHAIR. And just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew, B-L-U-E, Chew, dot com. Promo code ARMCHAIR and try for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. Twenty-five. So let's turn our attention to the other side of the line of scrimmage. And things turned out, I mean, things were looking good at the beginning. I mean, the Steelers were pretty much on lockdown. Stefan Tuitt fulfilling the dreams we've had for him ever since he got onto the roster. It's back right. in the back. He was uh, two and a half sacks, stuffing up the middle. I mean, it was... Uh, yeah. Actually... I have no idea what the, the firepower of the Seattle Seahawks is, but the Steelers look good for a while. Yeah. I think what we saw was the Steelers have some good players who we thought were going to be good players. I thought TJ looked good. I think Bud looks just like Bud. Anybody who had the big dreams of him turning the corner, metaphorically and physically, you might want to give up on that one. Letting Tazar Skipper go, that's... I'm not saying he would have come in there and dominated the game, but I'm saying look at your outside linebacker room going into next year. You could have had Watt, Ola Dinier, Skipper, and maybe a draft pick or something, but now you're stuck with Chicolo again, who's completely useless on defense. But you have a couple good players. Um, Bush had a rough game. It's his second game of his career. You did see how athletic he is on that fumble return. Tuit was great. Hayward was good. Hargrave was good. Watt was good. Steven Nelson was good. 
Terrell Edmonds was very up and down. He he is what we said he is. He's allergic to turnovers. Uh, he had some bad plays there. He got burned by Metcalf. He did have a couple nice plays where he hocked down some ball carriers, including Lockett in the open field, which is impressive. So that showed some of that first-round pedigree that he didn't really earn. But either way, he's a good athlete. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just Keith Butler, man. It, if you think that it's going to improve later in the season, I don't know how you could think that because he's had almost like over half a decade to do it, and there hasn't been literally an ounce of improvement. So you got some good players, but uh, you're going to be playing Kyle Shanahan next week on the West Coast. We know the Steelers struggle on the West Coast no matter how bad or good the team is. And now you're going to play a guy who can really manipulate defenses with simple schemes. And I don't expect it's going to look good for them next week. I'm not saying that they can't win, but I'm saying the matchups I get scared of as a Steelers fan are when you play elite veteran quarterbacks who have seen a lot of defenses and when you play elite play callers who can manipulate your defenses. I have nothing more to say about that. Just a grunt from me. Just an angry confirmation grunt. Look, I did think they, I, I was, you called it. I mean, the, the defense started to look a little weary in the second half. Right. But then after the turnover, really perked up. But then uh, on that last drive, Russell Wilson pulled out his legs and yep. uh, just made, extended that drive all the way until they needed to and until they were able to run down the clock. Such a disappointment. I mean, that, that last turnover was just, I, you wanted to see Mason do a two-minute drill. That would have been just very interesting because I agree with you. People are ready to move yeah. on very quickly from the guy who's been here for 16 years. It's a little too early. You know, everybody's favorite quarterback, yeah. second and third string QBs when they're doing okay, and they don't have the pressure in the entire game. Curious to see what happens and who will play next week. Um, one other silver lining is that Boz did hit Hey. A 49 and a 41 and a 33 year our field goal and two extra points. Boz so maybe we is don't back have to on track, that baby. As much as we have been. Is Boz our best player again? Did you notice for uh, <laughs> we had no killer bees on the field second half? Yeah. You, I know they sort of counted him, but then after last year, they dropped him from the club. He, yeah, he got dropped from the club last year for sure. Yeah, sad times. So we'll see. Hey, it, it's hard. To say. I mean, Mason Rudolph looked so much better than Ben had. Ben has had six quarters to look good, and Mason Rudolph looked better on a couple drives. So we're not going to deny that. But I do think you want to try and stay the course, see if you can get Ben to knock that Saran wrap off if he is indeed healthy enough to play because we – this isn't just wishful thinking. I mean, this is probably the worst it's been for Ben over the past few years, but we have seen him start very slowly, and we have seen him be able to get it together. And maybe some of the success of the play calling with Rudolph in there, maybe that'll spur Feetner to change his strategy with Ben. But we'll see. Hey, uh, season's not over, guys. Of course, the Steelers are in danger of being a mediocre team. I think we saw that today, uh, for sure. But... We have seen this team turn it around time and time again. That may not mean that much, but they do have talent all over the roster. If they can just figure out the playmaker situation on offense to sort of keep pace a little bit, and if, you know, I don't know what to tell you on defense just because schematically I can't see that improving that much, but the defense also has gotten better over the course of the season every year. So it's doom and gloom right now. I think a lot of that's justified, but the Steelers have some good players, and they can turn this thing around. It's going to be tough going to the West Coast this week, 
but I think this is basically the Steelers' Super Bowl right now. I think they know if you go 0-3, the season is over. But last year, two teams that started 0-2 made the playoffs in the Seahawks and the Texans, so it's not completely over yet. Hey, look, if you need a, a digital hug, reach out to us on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Or just leave us a note on our website at SteelersOutpost.com or shoot us an email, private email, we'll talk. SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Sorry about this weekend. Until next week, go Steelers. Bye-bye. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.